This morning we'll be in Ezra chapter 9, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to try to, actually 8, 7, 8, and 9. We're going to try to do all three here. Um, we did for first service, so I think we can do it. There is, while you're turning there in your Bibles, I have one quick announcement. Friday, July 9th, 6 to 9 p.m., Children's Ministry Workers, those of you who are in here, most of you are out there working, but those of you who are in the alternate month, you're in here. So just want to let you know that's coming up. We'll send out an email. Um, pizza and stuff like that, and kind of a training slash going over stuff. So Children's Ministry, uh, July 9th, that's a Friday night, 6 to 9 p.m. If you can be there, we'd, we'd love for you to be there, and, uh, and that's that. We'll also get an email later on, so you'll get further informed. Camp sign-ups are out there uh, for this year's camp. Go ahead and grab those, get signed up. Uh, kids ages... Uh, uh, I think it's 9 to 16 this year, so those are out there also. All right, let's get into it. We've got communion too, so I want to, I know, I can do it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts, um, what a blessing it is to gather together here and to open Bibles freely and to worship you in song and in prayer and in the hearing of your word, receiving it and doing it. Uh, we just pray that you're glorified in all that takes place here in this building with the kids' ministry within, in, in, on this side of things. Certainly, we're blessed with the worship and uh, the singing. We pray to just stay in this attitude of, of uh, worship. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our second group. First group, Zerubbabel, brings back 50,000 Israelis out of captivity into, back into their land. They've been released, basically, by the Lord. Ezra now joins the story. He's been writing the entire book, but he picks up here with a a second mission. He gonna, he's going to take about 2,000 people back with him in the second wave. And that's more of a spiritual revival. What's happened back with the first 50,000 is they started well and they began to put the foundations down and um, there was worship and there's all these, they're, they're slipping, they're, they're moving away spiritually. Physical things have been happening, but they've gotten their mind off of the, off of the spiritual things as far as worshiping God and building the temple and they're now working on their homes. And the, in fact, that was one of the uh, critiques of, of their missions trip, basically, is they're working on their own homes and not working on the things of God. And it's, it's fine to work on their own homes, but they needed to be doing both, and they weren't. They had neglected the things of the Lord. Um, and so Ezra's there to bring a spiritual revival. He's going to bring himself as a scribe. Um, and like I said, he's our author here. But he's also going to bring some other men with him to get things going, spiritually speaking. And he's a different type of leader. We've talked about this before. Zerubbabel is a pioneer. He's a groundbreaker. Uh, he's able to go on the scene and not have a plan, but make a plan, do a site survey and figure out what needs to happen, and he gets it done. And that's a special kind of person that can do that and, and stay true. There's no one he's accountable to except for God and himself. And that's a different kind of leader. You have to have that quality. And he does. Ezra's different. He comes in joining a missions team that isn't really doing what they're supposed to be doing anymore. And he's trying to get them focused back on God again. So he has a different kind of style. He ends up pulling his own beard out today. And then you've got Nehemiah, one of my favorite guys, but you need all three of these guys. Nehemiah comes in. He's going to be bringing the third wave. He's our next book. We'll start that next week, Lord willing. And he pulls their beards out. It's just a different kind of leadership for all three guys. And we need to have a little bit of each of these guys in our, in our own lives, in our own walk as, as leaders. You've got to be a pioneer. You've got to be able to stand true as a Christian, regardless of who's with you or not with you. Um, you need to keep focused on the spiritual things. The physical things matter, but the spiritual things are far more important because the physical things don't matter without the spiritual things. 
And then you've got to be Nehemiah. You've got to be bold. You've got to call it and, and call it out loud sometimes. And that's a special kind of thing that we all need, that boldness. Paul, when he was asked, you need any prayer for anything? You pray that I might be bold. Paul, of all people, prayed for boldness. I mean, it's the boldest guy I know. He would go in and pick a fight, basically, spiritually, get beat down, get back up, go back into the city. He's a tough guy. But there must have been a tendency for him to feel that conflict within him to, you know what, today, I'm not going to get beat. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to keep my head down, and I'm going to have a day without bruises, you know. And so his prayer request was, may God keep me bold because I don't want to be afraid of the beatdowns that are going to come. And they come and they came with him over and over and over again. And so we join our leader here, Ezra, getting some guys. He's placed the call. The first 14 verses are the names of these guys and their numbers. It adds up to 1,366 men that decide to join him on this missions trip. I like missions trips. I don't have a problem with missions trips. I like to go on them, but I don't like I have a hard time with, and this is a personality problem, I'm sure that God is working on with me, but I don't like going to a place that's used to hosting missions groups and treating me like I'm a cookie cutter and we're going to do what every other missions team's ever done. It bothers me. I know that God's called us as a group to go here, there, or someplace else. And I know he's got a specific plan for us. There are specific people, ordained conversations we're going to have, chance meetings at different places, whether that's the airport or the taxi driver or whoever it may be along the way. And I know that he's got a plan. I want to be the guy that just kind of prays and says, okay, let's go. And then when we land, we say, okay, let's pray again because I don't know where we're going from here. And have some taxi guy come up and say, hello, I just, and I don't know where we are. I just picked that accent out of nowhere. But get in my cab. I take you someplace. And we just go. You know, and we figured out that's a good way to get hostage, you know, taken hostage. But it's also, it's also a great way to minister. You know, maybe these hostage takers need to be ministered to or something. But I don't, I know God's got a plan and I want to do what he wants me to do. And I, and I really appreciate these guys. Who wants to come with me, Ezra says? And 1,366 guys say, I will. Verse 15, now I gathered them by the river, these group of guys, that flows to Ahava. And we camped there three days. So he's not in a hurry. He is, they're getting their wagon train together. And I looked among the people and the priests, and I found none of the sons of Levi there. Not one Levite decided to come with him. Remember, there are millions of Jews in Babylon or Persia at the time. They've been given permission by the king of that area to go ahead and go back. And only 50,000 went back with Zerubbabel and only, well, so far 1,300 have joined him. That's a lot of people that decided to stay. That's a lot of people that were content being in Babylon or being in the, in the worldly place as opposed to going back to where God had called them, where it's harder for sure, but where the, where the blessing lies. And they decided not to go there. So he looks around, he doesn't see any Levites. And so he puts out the call a second time. And you could do a whole sermon on something like that. Why does the priest guy need to be convinced to go do his priest things? You know, why isn't he just doing them? Why does that have to be a conversation? But he does. And so I don't want to beat him up. God doesn't beat him up, so I better not beat him up here. Um, and so he calls for these guys. And I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, uh, Shemaiah, uh, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan again, different Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, leaders also of Joreb, Elnathan El, El again. <laughs> it's, like, it's like John. If your name's John, you know what I'm talking about. It's like there's John, John, and John. So that's Elnathan. 
men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Edo, the chief uh, man at, at the place of um, Cassiphia. And I told him, or yeah, and I told them what they should do, uh, what they should say to Edo and his brethren, the Nethanim at the place. And so the Nethanim, if you don't know who they are, they're the group of guys that were called by God to support the priests and to kind of help them out with their jobs. Or they're like a roadies, basically support team that they should bring us servants for the house of God. Then, and this is the important part by, by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of uh, Mali, the sons of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, and with his sons and brothers, 18 men. And he goes through with a couple other guys, 20 more men, 220 others of the Nethanim. So another 258 joined them, making the total 1,624. Numbers don't matter, but we're trying to get to 2,000 here. There's kids, there are little ones, there's babies coming, and wives and all these things are joining these guys. So it's a big deal. And I think that's, this is when it hits Ezra. Because it's one thing for Ezra to get this vision to go. Let's go on a mission trip. Let's go over to Israel. I really feel like God's called me. Does anybody want to come? Well, yeah, I'm going to come. And all of a sudden, you're by the river with all these people, with their families and their kids, and they're looking at you saying, they're looking to him for answers, direction, mission. He's the one that heard from God. He's the one. And so you can see the kind of the weight of that ministry fall upon his shoulders right here. Then I proclaimed, Ezra's writing here, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him the right, seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against uh, the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king. And here's what they said to the king. And this is what you do. You boast about your God and you're, you're confident. But here's what he said. The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. And now he's got to let the rubber meet the road. You know, you can't say all that and say, and can we have an escort? Cause we might get killed along the way. I thought your God was all tough. You know, well, he is, he is, but we're not. And that's important for Ezra to understand before he goes on this missions trip. I get the call. I understand that. But the equipping has to come from the Lord and the protection and the direction. All of it has to come from God. You can be bold and mouthy, you know, and it can be just a bunch of puffery, you know. Um, This is settling in on him. He says, so we're going to wait before we go anywhere. As he looks at the faces of all the little kids and the wives, he says, we're going to pray and see what God wants to do and how he wants us to get there. It isn't always a straight shot. These guys know where this place is. They know where they are and where Israel is. And you take I-29. That's the way you go, you know, kind of thing. Or whatever highway it is. But that isn't always right. That isn't always the best way. The most efficient way isn't always the best way to get there, as far as God's economy goes. Sometimes we think that a shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but that's not how God works a lot of times. There's a lot of twists and turns, a lot of sidetracks, or a lot of around the mountains that we got to Pay attention to. Why would God take Israel and back them up to the Red Sea? Well, I've got one more thing I want to do, you know? Yeah, there's a safer route. Yeah, there's an easier route. Yeah, there's other ways I could do this, but this is the route I want. And I need servants who are willing to back themselves up to the Red Sea and let me be strong on their behalf. And that's where Ezra puts himself. So before I take another step, God, I want to make sure that I'm going in the direction you want me to go. Um. That's something that carries over to our walk, to our faith um, in the New Testament here with our relationship with Jesus is to pray. 
to take that time to not just go for it, but to wait. Um, James chapter one, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James is encouraging the church. Guys, don't, don't just wing this. Don't coast. Pray about these things. Where does God want you to go? What does he want you to do? It isn't always the normal thing or the next thing that the world does. You need to pray about what you're supposed to do because your path may lead you to destruction. Your own ideas may lead you in the place you're not supposed to be. Let God guide you. There are throughout Proverbs and Psalms, there are, the writers say there's pitfalls, there's snares, there's traps waiting for us. Satan is out there trying to catch anybody he can. And I don't know where those are. And I don't know how to avoid those. But from God's perspective, he can see all of that. And he can navigate us around those things. It's really a blessing. I was thinking about some of our soldiers in Afghanistan. I never had to deal with this stuff, but those improvised explosives, well, they were everywhere. And they were on the roads, the main roads. They were on the places that you would normally see a convoy or normally see. And sometimes that road was not the best road to take. Sometimes you need to go through a friendlier village because this village's temperature had changed a little bit as far as their tolerance, you know. And so you have to find different ways. And those who just went the normal route, because that's the way we've always done it, well, some of those guys, well, they didn't make it because they weren't paying attention to the intel. And you don't get intel unless you get it. You got to get it from above. You got to get it from God. As a spiritual, as a Christian, as someone who's walking with God, I've got to be in prayer, constant calm with him and listen to him. What is the best route for me? And we lose that sometimes. We forget that sometimes. Also with Ezra, not only is he called him, but he's also going to equip him like he does us. Ezra may not know how to go or which way to go or what he's going to do, but God will take care of that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. As long as Ezra is doing this right here, he doesn't have to know the rest of the stuff. As long as he's got his eyes on the Lord and he's praying and waiting for God to give him information, he will always accomplish what he was set out to do. It's a given. Now, if I get excited and say, God's called me to Israel, here I go and begin to do my own thing, and I forget to ask God what his plans are, what his ways are, that's how I get myself in trouble. Um, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, this is a, one of my favorites. I think it's a lot of everybody's favorite, but you do. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't lean on your own understanding, and in all your ways, you acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. You know where you're supposed to go, but the path that you take to get there, I've got to leave that in God's hands. I have to, and he gets us there. So he prays, and he fasts, and they all wait on the Lord. Verse 24, now he gets a bunch of this stuff. Remember, the king has sent him back with all the gold, all the articles of silver, all the things you're going to need, and, and then some, some free will offerings to go ahead and get this project going, this, this church build, so to speak. Uh, and so he's going to divide it up into, a, into 10 different groups. You guys take this much, this much, this much, and make sure you get it there. And this is really a spiritual picture of our walk with the Lord. We've all been given gifts, tasks, ministries, things to do along the way. We've been, they've been weighed out to us. They've been shown to us. And it's my responsibility to carry those things through all the way to the promised land, to do these things. There are good works he's called us to walk in. And those are for me to do. And every one of these guys gets their responsibility. So he begins to part this stuff out and he weighs it out. And I won't read through it all, all the names and, and the amounts, but he does. He divides it up. And verse 29 is the key. Watch and keep them. 
until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel and Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold uh, and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of the Lord. Um, I'm to worry about the things God has given me to do. He's given me this. These guys don't need to be looking at each other. How's your gold doing, Bob? Levi, Bob, you know, you got all your gold? I'm weighing my gold. You weighing your gold? Well, I'm weighing my gold. Are you weighing? No. I think that's one of the, this is tongue in cheek, but one of the, one of the most common gifts of the spirit in the church is criticism. <laughs> I mean, everybody's got an opinion about what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. They're, they're not paying attention to their own walk or what they're supposed to be doing, but boy, they know exactly what you shouldn't be doing and what you should be doing kind of thing. We're really, Romans chapter 14, 4, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. It's God's responsibility. These guys are responsible for the talents and the gifts they've been given to them by their leader, and they need to get it there. That's their job. That's their call. Then do it. Um, and you make sure you go across that finish line with everything that God gave you, you know? To, to continue, to stay, to be steadfast, to be true. These are all things God's called us to. Verse 31. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And by the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. That tells me right there that it wasn't a smooth road. But they overcame some of these guys. Somebody did try to ambush them. Somebody did try to steal from them. And they were victorious. God gave them victory over that. God doesn't promise us a smooth road. He just doesn't. There's a ton of things along the way that Satan would love to get us off track. To steal from us if we're vulnerable and leave ourselves open to that without God's protection. But because they prayed and they fasted and they got themselves on the path that God wanted them to, he was able to defeat and they were able to defeat all those things in their way. That's a blessing. Stay there in that place in your walk with Jesus Christ, paying attention to him, walking with him. And then when those things do happen, I don't have to be surprised or worried about them. I can just look back at my big brother or my father and say, get him, you know, otherwise I'm not going to make it over there. There's a path you told me to take. I've got obstacles here. I can't move the obstacles. It's not up to me to move. It's up to you to do these things. So I'm going to stand here and then move them. And he will. I've seen that happen in our lives more often than not. I've seen him also not help us when I was on my own path too. I'm guilty of that. I've definitely found ways to go that God did not, or I didn't pray about and found myself backtracking and going a different route. That happens too. But on the times where I did pray and he set a path before us, he's always been faithful to carry us all the way through. Always, always, always. He's trustworthy. Now, the children of those who had been carried away captive um, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped that part. Now, the fourth day, of the, uh, the silver, the gold, and the articles were weighed to the house of God by the hand, so they delivered all their stuff. All the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from uh, the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. So they're all excited. For three days, they kind of celebrated. I can't believe we're here. We made it to the, the missions trip. You know, we're here to really do things, set things on fire for God. Um, divvied out the gold like they're supposed to, delivered everything they brought in their suitcases, you know, for the help of the ministry. This is such a great mission strip. 
And, and then they had this big feast, you know, when they show up, they offer up the sacrifices. And some of these sacrifices you'd share, you know. Um, God took a portion and then he gave a portion to the people and, and so on. So they're doing all that and they're having a great time. And they delivered the king's orders. Remember the king's orders to all the other, the satraps, uh, his bosses, the governors over there. The orders were give these guys whatever they need financially from my treasury to make sure that their mission strip gets covered. I love that. And so they, that's the next thing they do. They go beyond and they give that to uh, all these governors, all these satraps. So they gave support to the people in the house of God. All right, chapter nine. When these things were done, this is the bad chapter. This is a tough chapter. Um, this is when the spiritual rubber meets the road and they realize they've got a serious problem on their hands. When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. With respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites, all the people that were supposed to be evicted and gone, remember when they first made their conquest, God removed all those ites out of there. Well, they're now marrying into these families, and that isn't the problem. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there is. They want to keep a pure line, but it's not about that. It's about what they bring into the marriage. It's bringing in these, the worship of these other gods, Moloch, um, um, Astra, all these other gods that these other countries would worship. They're bringing these daughters and sons into the nation of Israel, and now their kids have these divided hearts. I mean, I still have the traditions of my families. I'm still a Christian. I'm, I'm still a follower of God, you know. But I also have married this woman that doesn't follow God, but she follows this God, and, and we kind of blend both. So we're raising up our kids to make, you know, this horrible situation, unevenly yoked. And that is their problem. They have gotten sidetracked. And this is why the house of God isn't being built. It's not a priority anymore. That's the mantra for Satan today. And it comes out even in the churches sometimes. That these, all these roads lead to God and that it's okay to be this, that, or the other thing. And we need to be accepting and tolerant and all these things. Absolutely not. The entire Bible for Christians, if you've ever read it from cover to cover, and I'm preaching to the choir, I know. It's all about him trying to become exclusive. I don't want you dating. I don't want you out seeing other guys. I don't want you to have some God on the side. That's spiritual adultery. I want you, and I want your whole heart, and I want all of you. And it's reasonable. I'm the creator of the universe. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for your sins. I have the only plan of salvation. All these other gods are from Satan, and they're trying to draw you away from me. You can't have a divided heart. You need to be with me. The whole Bible is that. And for the church to say even today, once, that it's okay to be this, that, or the other thing, is to not be a Christian. Be a Christian means little Christ. We're called to that. And so we come across this terrible situation where they've infected Israel so much so that they've stopped working on the house of God and are only working on their own homes now. They're divided. So he hears about this, for they had taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of the lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost in this trespass. The leaders are doing this. This isn't some fringe group. So here's Ezra. This is his heart. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garments and my robe, and I plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Why is he astonished? This is the very reason they went into captivity. 
This is how it started. They went into captivity because they forgot their God and who brought them into the land and began to worship these other gods. And believe me, these other gods on the side are never satisfied with just being the girlfriend, basically. They want it all. They want the ring. They want your heart. They want her gone, basically. They want God gone in your life. That's the goal, always. And that's what happened to the nation of Israel to the point where God says, I'm going to remove you from the land. You're no better than the ites that I removed before you. You're the same as them. You're going to Babylon. And for 70 years, they've been there. Now they come back into the land and they haven't been there that long. And they're already back doing exactly what kicked them out of that place. Now, for me, as we study these things, it's like going over judges. If you've ever read judges, they did right in the side of the Lord or evil inside the Lord. And then they did right in the side of the Lord. And they repent and they sin and they repent. And you're like, oy vey, you know, how do you guys not get this? But that's the human condition. That is our sin nature. We have the mind of Christ. We have a new heart. But Paul warns us that we still have this old flesh. It seems to keep climbing off the sacrificial altar that we keep killing it. And it keeps rising up and drawing us back. And we keep going back and forth. We flip-flop. We're double-minded sometimes. And every day is a battle for the Christian. It is. It just is. To walk in the Spirit is a decision you have to make every single day. You've got to pray your way through it. You've got to walk your way through it. You've got to decide to walk with God each and every day. My default as a human being is to be a sinner. That's what I fall back to. If I am not actively seeking the Lord, I am automatically backsliding. I instantly go back into old habits and go the old way. Always. And so I have to constantly be on my guard. And Ezra shows up on this mission trip to see these guys totally let their guard down, still going back, and he's got this fresh, exciting um, vision and excitement for the Lord, and he brings that, and he tears it, and it affects them. As he tears his clothes, this new guy, hey, welcome back. We'll put the sacrifice. We'll get you. We're going to bring our wives, and he sees these wives like, wait a minute. They're worshiping Astrid. They're worshiping Baal. Uh, Moloch, what are you doing? And he begins to tear out his beard, and they're They're convicted. That can bring conviction. Your own sorrow over somebody else's sin can bring enough conviction that they turn back to the Lord. And that's what happens here. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until evening, until the evening sacrifice, people joined him and sat with him. Only those who feared the Lord We're not with everybody yet. We're not at the repentance stage yet, but we're at the acknowledgement of sin. They're calling it out. And sometimes you've got to be bold and loud about that. And I don't mean brash and, 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 and tactless. I mean, broken like Ezra is that brokenness is something every Christian needs to have over sin. When we read this stuff, as tough as this is going to be, these next two chapters, there's going to be hurt people in this. This is so important to start here. You have to acknowledge the sin first. You can't have a savior without, a, without acknowledging what you're being saved from. And so this is happening. He begins to tear out his beard and rip his clothes. And they're like, we're not okay. Maybe that's the first time anybody said that out loud. We're not okay here. We can't walk into that temple and worship our true and living God and walk into that temple next with my wife and worship that fake God. We can't do that. We're divided. And they're called on it. At the evening sacrifice, verse 5, I arose from my fasting. And having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And this is his prayer. Now, remember, he is not the one in sin right now, but this is how he prays. 
Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, to humiliation as it is this day. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in this holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us measure of revival in our bondage. And that's what he's praying for, a revival, a true one. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you've commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their impurity. Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never, underline this, seek their peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it as an inheritance for your children forever. That's his prayer. It's a long one, but he takes it on personally. The, the, the sins of my nation are my sins. When it says that if my people will humble themselves and pray, those who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, we're not praying for them to get it or for them to get it. They take upon themselves. My nation is a sinning group. And I'm sorry, God. And they pull out their own beards and they repent Revival is not a circus tent with a guest speaker and a new group of worship team that you've never heard before. That's kind of what we've turned revivals into in the Midwest. Here's a revival. We're going to have a revival. We're going to have a revival, you know, and we got some horns and we got a new band and we've got a new teacher. And this is revival. One person, one heart turning back to God, people seeing that joining in that their hearts turning back to God and more and more people turning back to God, spontaneously being moved by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, turning their lives over to the Lord. That's revival. True revival. We can get excited. We can have a jamboree maybe, but that's not revival. And don't mix the two up. This is revival. One man, bold enough to tear his clothes and rip the hair out of his face, has already gathered some people with him, and more and more and more as he calls out sin. It's a beautiful thing. It's a hard thing. I like what he says there. May you never seek their peace and prosperity. I mentioned that to you about underlining that. There is a verse, and it's, a, it's one that I hold on to and use often. Um, it's in 2 John, uh, verses 9 through 11. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. There are people that will knock on my door on a Saturday or any other day, bicycles or not, and try to talk to me about a false God. And I will not say, God bless you. Have a great day. Just shut the door. Absolutely not. I'm not sharing it. I hope you have a horrible day. I hope you have no success. I hope nobody opens their door to you. I hope nobody listens to you. I hope you deceive nobody today. I do not pray for your peace or prosperity. I pray for your failure today. 
And that's got to be done as Christians. Well, how do you ever minister to them? Hey, when the pig stops trampling over the pearls that you try to offer them, I'm, I'm all for offering pearls. I'm all for ministering to people anytime they're ready to listen. But if they just want to argue and they don't want to listen, I don't have time. And I'm not going to waste my time. And I don't want you to be blessed. Do not pray for their, do not seek their peace or their prosperity. I don't want them to win. I want their churches to shut down. I don't want them to succeed. They're leading people astray. And there's many other things. I picked on an easy group. Um, There's a lot of things we need to pray and not be a part of in this world that are leading people astray and to call it and not pray for their peace or prosperity. So um, Ezra's broken before the Lord and people are seeing this and they're hearing him pray and they're seeing him pray. And so he says this, you have not given us, he says, your evil deeds are for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such deliverance as this. Should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the people committing those, these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us so that there would be no remnant or survivor? O Lord, God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt though no one can stand before you because of this. Now, while Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel. There it is. That's it. That's the beginning of revival. That's the beginning of people saying, no more. I see it. And and until you see the brokenness of another brother or sister in the Lord about their sin, you may not have even realized it was that big of a deal. But you see their brokenness, and you're like, you're right, it is a big deal. And all of a sudden, you begin to get broken about the same issues. And God begins to draw people and revive people and bring people back to himself. A very large assembly come. For the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jael, and one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, we have trespassed. That's it. He calls out the sin, and now they confess their sin. They own it. It is us. We have done wrong. And that's the first step. You can't be born again. You can't have a relationship with God until that happens. You've got to acknowledge your sin. You have to acknowledge it before the Lord. God can't break through in all those areas. He can't move you forward on your path. He can't do the things he wants to do with you until you confess the thing that's keeping you from those things, your sin. And so he confesses it. And they all begin to confess this before the Lord. And that's the first part. It's a first step in healing and restoration. This is repentance that's taking place. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. This is where it gets hard. Not only hard, when I was studying for this, this stopped me cold. I mean, everybody read that, right? There are a bunch of kids that are never going to see their dad again. There are a bunch of wives that are going to be left on their own. That's where they're going with this. Send the wives, the pagan wives away. Send the pagan kids away to get pure and I had a hard time with that when I was studying. I'm, I'm praying. I said, God, you are right. You are perfect. You are true. You're always correct. You're more loving than I'll ever be. You're more understanding. You have greater wisdom. I know all these things. So I know I'm wrong, but could you help me here? 
because I'm going to get up and I'm going to teach this to a bunch of people that are going to have the exact same question. Really? You're going to put all these people away? Okay. The reason we have a hard time with it is because we have Jesus. Okay? That's the difference here. This is what he showed me. The law is beautiful. It's true. It's right. It's absolutely brutal, though. The law is absolutely brutal. It is not forgiving. It does not turn away. The law is the law. It says what it says. You either do it or you don't do it. It makes you a lawbreaker or it makes you a law keeper. But there is no middle ground. Now, I like to think about speeding, you know, got about four or five miles an hour, a little grace period there. Now, when it comes to God's law, there ain't no two miles over, three miles over, five miles over, and then six miles over, we start pulling you over. None of that. It's you are either on this side or that side. There is no middle ground with the law. And this is what the law looks like. The law is brutal. You want to get right with God? This is what getting right with God looks like. Now, we are not under the old covenant anymore, thank goodness. Not that it's wrong, but thank goodness we have Jesus Christ now who paid the price for all of our sins. And that, I mean, can you imagine this morning if we were under the old covenant and we had no New Testament hope, we did not have Jesus Christ, and this was the sermon you were hearing this morning. Your current bride or your current husband, who is an unbeliever, needs to be put away starting now, and you'd never see them again. That'd be church in a different way, wouldn't it? You know, got to call an Uber to get home because I can't even get in the car with her right now. I struggled with, not struggled, but just, oh God, I'm so thankful for Jesus right now. It gives me an appreciation because that's what they had to do to get right. That was what revival looked like. Now, he tells us, I want you to stay with that unbelieving wife or that unbelieving husband because you don't know if they might get saved or not through you. It's a ministry opportunity now. I paid for all your past, present, and, and, and current sins that maybe you're even committing right now in your own minds. I paid for those things. And I want you to right now start ministering and being like Christ to that person doesn't tell us to put them away. Doesn't call, there's no collateral damage. With our sin, though, hold on to this. Feel the brutality of it because our sin leaves a wake of destruction like this, whether you like it or not. It just does. My decisions to walk against God's counsel and the people that I destroyed all along the way. I mean, you think, I don't want you to think too hard because God's separated it as far as the east is from the west. But you think about all the destruction your sin caused in your past, and you know maybe you're still there and you need to stop the process, but that it's brutal. There is a, in our country, there is just epic damage from the world living after the world. Epic. Unbelievable. We don't see that. We don't see it. Any percentage of it compared to what God sees. Broken homes and fatherless children and motherless children and the drugs and the everything that comes into a family that destroys it. It's just the destruction of our sin is there. And this is God writing it out loud for us so we can see it. Two things happen here. It causes me not to want to sin anymore, which is good. It also caused me to really appreciate Jesus which when we have communion today, which is a reminder of what he did on the cross for us. It's really perfect timing for that. So thankful for the New Testament. See, the Old Testament was this, the Old Covenant. You do the right thing, and you get to go to heaven. You do the wrong thing, and you get to go to hell. That's just it. 
All the animal sacrifices, all those things were merely meant to cover over your sin. They never took away your sin. You still own that sin. It's still there. You still got to pay for it. Until the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world comes, that's the New Testament. That's the new covenant. You broke it. I'm going to fix it, God says. There's no part for you to play except to receive the forgiveness that I'm offering you through my son, Jesus Christ. That's your part. Receive it. So thankful for Jesus. So they make the command, and they agree to do it. Then Ezra rose and made the leaders and the priests and the Levites and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehoahana, the son of Eliashib. And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. And they issued a proclamation throughout all Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem. Whoever doesn't come, they're going to confiscate uh, their property, basically. And remember how they can do this. When you came, they had nothing. They were given everything when they returned. So if you decide not to be Israeli anymore or to do what we ask you to do, we're taking it all back, basically. So that's the confiscation of the goods. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th of the month. And all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your father and to do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. We're still called to that today. We're still called to separate ourselves. 2 Corinthians 6.17 Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. We're called to be in the world, but not of it. I don't need to look like the world. I don't need to blend in. I'm to stand out. I'm to be a light, and I'm to be salt. I'm to be the guy with the torn out beard, with the ripped clothes that everybody either laughs at or sits down beside me. That's what I'm called to do. That's what you're called to do. We're called to be Christians. No better than anybody else around us, except that we've received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And we sit broken and we join other people to sit broken with us so that they can be restored and healed and brought back to God. We're called to that, to be separate. Um, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, there's a promise we have. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the first step in a revival. That's the first step in anybody's move towards being a born-again believer or to be returning to God is just that confession. It's sin. It just is. And to call it that and to not make excuses or to follow up with, but, and, 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 and it wasn't my fault or they did it or it's mine. It's my sin. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, yes, as you have said, so we must do. But there are many people. It is the season for heavy rain, and we are not able to stand outside, nor is this work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this manner. It's a big deal. I mean, I don't know how you, unta- how do you undo this. It's going to take some time. Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand and let all those in the cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times, together with the elders and judges of the cities, until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter. Only Jonathan, the son of Asael, and Jehaz, or Jehaziah, uh, the son of uh, Tikva, opposed this. It's documented for everybody to read. These two guys. Oh, we don't think this is a good idea. Oh, let me write your names down here. You know, and now everybody gets to read that. 
And the descendants of the captivity did so. And Ezra the priest with the certain heads of the father's households were set apart by the father's households, each of them by name. And they sat down on the first day of the 10th month to examine the matter. By the first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. And then they wrote their names down. All of them. All the rest of them get documented. These are their sins. There is a book of remembrance written about us all. The Bible tells us. And then there's also the Lamb's book of life. And they check the Lamb's book of life first, it says in scriptures. And they read that. And if your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, and if you want to know how that happens, we'll talk about that in a minute. Then the rest of it doesn't matter. The rest of it's done. It's paid for. You've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're written in the Lamb's book of life. And all those other sins, all those other paths, they're gone. All the other things that were ever written down, all these things are not enumerated in my uh, biography from God. And I'm thankful for that. All they're going to say is, nope, this one says the righteousness of Christ imputed to him. And that's what I go to heaven by. And that's what communion is all about. We can go ahead and hand it out while I'm still finishing up here, if you guys don't mind. Um, Because we're running behind here. This three chapters, finishing up, and next week we begin in Nehemiah. That's a difficult mission strip to do that. To go and not just, I mean, you'd hope to show up and just be excited and to start working. But you've got to do some things first before you can start lifting a trowel or a hammer or a chisel or anything like that. You've got to start getting things straightened out spiritually before you can, thanks, David. before you can step in there. And that's a hard thing to walk up to the first missions team and tell them, you guys need to get right with God before we can take another step here. But it was so worth it to do that. It's so worth it to have everybody's heart pure and right before God while they're doing the work of God. It probably reduced their numbers quite a bit. Some of the people were on board. Some of them weren't. Some of them probably let their stuff get confiscated and just didn't show up. You know, Some of them preferred their wives over God or whatever. And you'll have that in your life. As you turn to God and you rip the beard out of your own face, and ladies ripping the hair out of your own head, because you're sorry before the Lord and you've repented, there are some of your friends and family that will sit beside you and they'll join you in that and they'll say, you're right, it is wrong. And they need to see you mourn over your sin. And they begin to mourn over their sin. But there are others that will point the finger and they won't understand and they'll laugh and say, I don't need that crutch. I don't need that help. That's, I'm not an, into the invisible man in, in the sky kind of thing. And they'll mock. But you've got to do what God's called you to do. Now, this morning in a crowd like this, there's inevitably one or two or a few of you that have never made that decision to follow Christ. You've never mourned over your sin. You've never called it out. You've never confessed it. And I'm, I'm not going to make you stand up and say it out loud or anything. It's between you and God. But before we have this moment that we're going to have with the Lord here, with these two elements, the bread and the juice, it's very important that as an unbeliever, if you're here this morning, you understand what this means. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread that they were all eating and he broke it and he gave thanks and he handed it out to all the disciples. He said, I want you to take and eat. And as often as you eat this bread, you do this in remembrance of me. This is my broken body for you. Now, he hadn't died yet. It's the next day he's going to do this. So he's telling them, as often as you eat this meal, as often as this bread, remember what I'm about to do for you tomorrow. I'm going to break my body so that you don't have to break your body. You're not going to die. I'm going to die in your place. Okay? 
So he wanted them to know that. He took the cup and he says, this is the cup of my new covenant. That's a big deal. You're telling all these good Jewish boys in the room that that old covenant no longer matters anymore. It's the new covenant of my blood. And as often as you drink this cup, you do this in remembrance of me. In other words, your blood's not going to be shed, nor the blood of any other animals ever. I'm the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. I'm the one and only final sacrifice for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And we do that this morning. Now, Paul, as he's describing this, to the Corinthians and telling them about this. He also warns them about eating or drinking in an unworthy manner. And the unworthy manner is not that you're a sinner. You're in church. You're surrounded by sinners. That's why we're here. No, the unworthy manner is I know everything you just said. I've heard everything you said. I understand it. I don't believe it. And then you eat and drink anyway. And Paul says, you eat and drink judgment to yourself. You acknowledge you're a sinner. You acknowledge you don't care. You reject the, Jesus, the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. And then you eat and drink. Better that you set the cup and the bread on the ground right now. Don't drink or eat it, he says. But he doesn't stop there. If you're in that place of an unworthy manner, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. He says, better yet, examine yourself. Judge yourself. Look at your life. Do you want your Savior? Do you want Jesus? Today's the day of salvation for you to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Receive that forgiveness from him. doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. If you get that sense that the Holy Spirit is pulling you and leading you to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior today, to receive that forgiveness, acknowledging your sin before him right now, receive him. It's free. It cost him everything. It's not cheap grace. It cost Christ everything but it's free to you. It can't cost you anything. It has to be a gift for it to work, for him to pay the price. So pray with me before we eat or drink here. Lord, for some of us, we've known you a long time, or we've just come to know you recently. And as we eat and drink this bread together and this cup together, we're reminded of why we're going to heaven. No matter how long we've walked with you, we're still getting there, not based upon our deeds, but upon your righteousness upon what you did at the cross. Everything else has been done because of that. All the good deeds we ever walked in, all the works we ever did, it's because you saved us, not for salvation. And we acknowledge that this morning. It's by your blood and it's by your broken body that we enter into heaven, by your sacrifice. Lord, for those that didn't know you but want to know you right now, Jesus, I confess my sin before you. I'm broken, I'm lost, I mourn, I repent. I turn from it right now. I receive your forgiveness for all of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for loving me. Now I pray that you'd help me. Help me to walk with you. Fill me with your spirit that I may be able to walk each and every day pleasing you and being a blessing to you because of what you've done for me at the cross. I receive your forgiveness and I thank you. Would you be my Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.